You are entering the Freedom Hut. Left-wing journalists are all upset about the controversy surrounding Elizabeth Warren. We'll talk about that. And also, why is it that the left is all of a sudden so bellicose when it comes to Saudi Arabia? Is this really about security or is this something else? That and more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This is The Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to The Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Live from the swamp, Washington, D.C., Actually got to spend a little time over at the uh, Trump Hotel today. That was that's always fun. It's amazing to be in a place where you walk around and people are like, "Hey, Buck, keep up the good work, man. Love the show." Yeah, I'm like, "Oh wow!" In D.C., in the swamp, no less. There are good, there are good-hearted and and uh, stout patriots amongst us. Indeed, there are. I've got to tell you, the possibility of the Republicans. Not just keeping the Senate, but also the House, I think, is getting bigger and bigger with every passing day. And I think that it has the left completely freaked out. I think that they're grasping at this point. Although there's a part of me, given their tactics in the past, given the way that we know they play the game, there's a part of me that has to think they must have something else up their sleeve. They must have a a plan that we have not yet seen. But... Maybe it's just more of the same. Maybe it's just more dishonesty, more grasping, more puffed up nonsense about Russia collusion or uh, these attacks on Kavanaugh and the Republicans being being rape apologists, they say. Although maybe they're learning their lesson. Maybe they are realizing that this, in fact, did not work out well for them. I see something happening right now that I, it's, it's not yet clear, I'm sure to a lot of other folks, that this is really what's going on, but I, I see the early stages of this. I think that they are trying right now, the left-wing medias, hoping to find a way to make Trump make a mistake when it comes to his dealings with Saudi Arabia. I think that they're willing to push as much as they can to get a misstep from the president, even if it means a problem that will haunt our Mideast foreign policy for a long time to come. All of a sudden, they are r- rushing out with all the usual talking points. Right? They're, they're saying, oh, Trump, Trump is too cozy with dictators. The same people that say that were praising Obama's foreign policy while Obama sat on his hands and not only did nothing, in fact, made Syria worse, made a civil war that killed over 500,000 people worse. It would be one thing to say that he did nothing, but no, we had a training program for the so-called Free Syrian Army. That was a disaster. We had a red line over the usage of chemical weapons. That was a disaster because Obama didn't enforce that red line. So instead, we had years and years of carnage. And that carnage, I would note, 
stretched far beyond Syria's borders and, in fact, led to mass casualty terror attacks in Europe and, yes, here in the United States, inspired by an Islamic state that was able to run wild because Obama didn't have the decision-making capability, didn't have the strength of his convictions or character to do something, anything, the right thing. And now those same people want to lecture us all about how Trump is making a terrible mistake here with Saudi Arabia. He hasn't even he hasn't even taken an action yet, hasn't even had the chance to fully review all the facts of the case. But with the left and with the media united together in this effort to take down the president of the United States, it does not really matter to them that they will rush well ahead of the facts. It doesn't matter that they may be creating a kind of pressure around the decision-making of the commander-in-chief intended to get him to mess up. They're looking for reasons to criticize him and undermine him. There is nothing, I can tell you this right now, if Trump sat down with the editorial board of the New York Times and the Washington Post, sat down with all the, the big-name, overpaid, pompous hosts at CNN and MSNBC and said, okay, everyone, what do you think I should do about Saudi Arabia? If he went and then did that thing or those things, I assure you, I promise you, within 48 hours, they would be saying, oh, my gosh, look what Trump has done again. Look at how he has made a made a mess of things. They have no interest in promoting U.S. foreign policy and, and our strength abroad. Their interest is in undermining the commander in chief in whatever way they can get there. Here's a perfect example. You've got. Uh, Joe Scarborough, how this guy is still considered a Republican anywhere is, is a question that I would like an answer to. These days, he feels about as Republican or sounds about as Republican as Jennifer Rubin of the Washington Post. But here's what he has to say about Trump and how all of this goes. Play two. He is showing extreme naivete on the world stage. It hurts America, well, and it certainly makes him look like a weak leader. Not just that. He, look, he does look so weak. So uh, weak. And, and so painful. pathetic. And just like he did in Helsinki. Here's a guy who just A seemed, bumbling idiot. You have a guy who is scared of KGB agents, not yeah. man enough to stand up to K, former KGB agents, and not man enough to stand up to Saudi sheiks. Yeah. I mean, that's what we have in a president. Whatever they Donald, have on him better be worth well, it because just, he looks like a bumbling idiot. It's just money, I guess, though. I mean, is this what Donald Trump promised people? Uh, he was gonna, I thought he was going to be a strong leader. Instead, he's kowtowing Feckless. and let, letting these people, letting these autocrats, letting these tyrants kill journalists in the light of day. That's not who we are. All the sanctimony and blather, complete blather, from these two pompous, overpaid, overquaffed clowns at MSNBC. They don't know a damn thing about what they're talking about. Oh, what, because Mika's dad was Secretary of State, I'm supposed to listen to what she has to say? I don't think so. Wasn't a good Secretary of State, for what that's worth. Was actually pretty terrible at it, but discussion for another time. And Joe... When I say whose team is he on, I know the answer. He's on Joe's team. It's oh, it's all about Joe. It's all about Scarborough himself. He doesn't represent any ideology. He doesn't represent any set of principles. He doesn't even represent being a journalist. He's just there to spout off 
and make sure his hair is swooped up as high as possible. Just, you know, calm down with the swoop and the rock band, Joe. It's a little weird. And you can tell they're trying to make this personal. They're trying to they're trying to personally goad the president of the United States on this issue. What is he really going to do, folks? What what message is he going to send the Saudis on this one that would so that would so dramatically change their minds that would all of a sudden mean they would never do this again or they would think twice about doing this again? What are we really going to do? This is not a U.S. citizen. This was not done on U.S. soil. The Saudis, let's break this down to what it is. The Saudis killed a guy on the soil of another country in a consulate. Is it disgusting and barbaric? Yes. Do the Saudis do disgusting, barbaric things all the time? Absolutely. That is nothing new. Why is this our problem? I keep hearing about how, what, what, what is Trump going to do? What is Trump going to do? What could he do? And why is it on him? Shouldn't this be? Don't we have a United Nations for exactly this purpose? Don't we have this international community that I hear so much about all the time? So there can be multilateral and concerted action? You say, oh, Buck, but they won't do anything. Yeah, exactly. They won't do anything, will they? But when they, when they don't like what the U.S. is doing, it's, oh, why don't you wait for the international community? It's, it's better if it comes from, from all nations united together. Well, what about this issue? Well, no, let's not wait for the united community of, of nations to come together. Let, let's have the U.S. do what? I, I have to say, the, the frenzy, the frenzy that the media is engaged in right now to make this the biggest story in the country and to skip over What's going on with U.S. troops, for example, in Afghanistan, a place we're still at, at which we're still in war? Um, we don't hear about it, do we? We don't hear about the fact that we're in the process of slowly losing that war. They don't want to, they, they don't talk about that anymore. Uh, they want to focus on this issue. And I would say it's not just because they do feel journalists do feel a special affinity for other journalists. Right. Th- this hits home for them. Not so much during the Obama years when Obama was pulling the phone records of journalists and listing on DOJ charging sheets unindicted co-conspirators as, you know, journalists. But, you know, that was Obama. Oh, that's right. You know, tough guy Tapper would say, you know, you know Obama, do you think that, that you're really the best, this administration's the best messenger on that issue? Yeah, that's, ooh, ooh, tough talk. Tough talk to the Obama administration which used the Espionage Act more than every other administration combined. Not a lot of talk about how they were destroying the First Amendment, though, right? Not, not much of that. You hear that about Trump all the time because he tweets. Because he tweets. This, uh, this journalist Khashoggi, what happened to him, we still don't really know. And we should not lose sight of that. We don't know what happened to Khashoggi. We have not been told what the facts are of this case. They're still trying to figure it out. But everyone wants Trump to take action. They, they want to push the president of the United States, the leader of the free world, to do something that could upset the balance of power in the Middle East, that could have long-term ramifications, and they don't care about any of that. What they really just want is the opportunity to criticize the president for inaction and then dump all over him for whatever action he takes. These people are disgusting. They're a disgrace. 
none other than chief national security propagandist for the Obama administration, Ben Rhodes, takes this to the next level. And, you know, it's once again, it's always about Trump. It's all Trump's fault. Somehow everything that the left doesn't like is Trump's fault. Play 16. And the message that President Trump is sending is that there's no consequences. And what you have to realize is there's nobody else who can play the role of the United States to hold people like this to account. And we are the world's oldest and most significant democracy. And if we're not Not doing this, uh, if we're not standing up for this, there's not somebody else who's going to do that. And the consequences of that are journalists everywhere are less safe. And and let's face it, we have a president of the United States who says journalists are the enemy of the state. So uh, values like freedom of speech and dissent Mm -hmm. uh, suddenly are very endangered around the world. And and that's a Mm -hmm. trend line that I think is getting much worse. That is a giant pile of crap. A giant pile of crap from Obama's chief national security propagandist. A guy who laughed about creating an echo chamber of idiot, almost entirely Democrat, journalists during the Obama years to sell the Iran deal laughed at their ignorance and their stupidity at least on that he was right they do have a lot of idiot journalists at these media outlets especially the young ones who are right out of college who have just bought into this leftist nonsense hook line and sinker but notice how far this goes i mean this is trump derangement syndrome on the world stage a a saudi hit team kills a saudi journalist in a consulate in Turkey, and it's on it's on Trump to make this right? It's on us to make this right? Let me tell you something. As someone who has spent more time than he ever thought he would in war zones alongside men and women who were wearing the uniform to defend this country and to essentially rebuild other people's countries for them, I don't think we have to make everyone else's problems our problems all the time. You know, Saudi Arabia is a terrible tyrannical kingdom that we have to deal with because of the realities of the world we live in it's a terrible place by the way in large part because of the prevailing ideology which is fundamentalist islam that's why it's so bad and repressive and intolerant that doesn't get talked about you'll notice that's left out of the conversation entirely and the criticism here is much stronger against trump himself than against this the leader of Saudi Arabia, the de facto ruler, Mohammed bin Salman. That's right. Someone somewhere gets killed by someone else. And it's Trump's fault, you see. He's the one that we should all be angry at. These people are delusional. And what's worse, given the lengths they're willing to go to here to try and push for presidential action, they're dangerous. Don't forget that. We've got more on this and also, obviously, the Elizabeth Warren debacle, which is amusing and also insane. Uh, and then just some issue, some of the latest on the uh, polling for the midterms, where this is all heading, how the economy's looking. we got a jam-packed show because that's how we roll. I'll be right back, team. And so the implications are really, really significant uh, because we've talked from the beginning of this presidency, Joe, about the potential impact on human rights worldwide. Well, that begins with journalists. I remember vividly a train trip up on the Acela when I talked to a group for course, international, an international group to protect journalists who told me it was within months of Trump taking office that they saw the worldwide threats to journalists going up. And this is kind of the 
in the extreme what is happening now on in terms of human rights, not only to journalists, but in several hot spots around the world. That's all bull. That woman has no idea that MSNBC analyst has no idea what she's she's talking about. I bring you to a piece written by yours truly. In the age of Trump, the, tr- the press can't stop playing the victim. You know, I actually looked at the numbers, you know, the, from the Committee to Protect Journalists and all that stuff. Who wants to guess how many journalists have been killed in America since 1992? 11. 11. How many people in this country since 1992, all right, stretching back now for, oh, you know, going on three decades. This is, what is it, uh, eight, 16, uh, eight, 18, 26 years. For almost 30 years. How many people have been killed in this country who are journalists? Anyone to guess? Three. Three people have been killed for journalism in America in 30 years, and not by the state, but just by people that didn't like that the journalists were doing stories on them. And when you look at the numbers abroad, I'm not saying there aren't bad states and there aren't totalitarian regimes, but they've been bad all along. They've been bad all along. By way of comparison, we've had three journalists killed in 26 years in this country. You know how many cab drivers were killed last year? 60. You don't see cab drivers all going, oh my gosh, we can't do our jobs. Oh, no. This journalist, this journalist line that I hear about, oh, Trump has made it harder for journalists. How? The entire journalist apparatus in this country is against, against him, and their ratings are going up, and they're more famous than ever. They're making more money. There's no action being taken against them. What, because Trump makes fun of them? He hurts their feelings? Because Trump calls out Jim Acosta for being the clown that he is, anytime anything anywhere happens to a journalist in the entire world, it's Trump's fault? I mean, these are the same people, though, that believe that Elizabeth Warren is actually a Native American, even after she showed her DNA results, which showed she is not a Native American. I don't know. I'm having a tough time. Are journalists delusional or are they just not very smart? Not sure which one. As the president said, we're going to get to the bottom of it. Uh, it it's important that uh, the world know the truth. Uh, if, in fact, uh, Mr. Khashoggi was murdered, uh, we need to know, know who was responsible. We need to hold those responsible. Uh, and uh, it's, a, it's, it's even more important that uh, that he was a member of a free and independent press. And any loss of life is grievous. Any act of violence that claims a life is to be condemned. But uh, this was also a- an assault on a free and independent press. So uh, we're going to demand answers. The world deserves answers. And uh, the president and I and our administration are going to continue uh, to call for answers to see that those uh, responsible are held to account. Now, that's the vice president who's saying pretty much all the things you would expect him to say. I think he's saying the right things here on this issue. Uh, but the leftist critics of the regime, of the administration, sorry, that happens sometimes, uh, they're not placated by this at all. They're not okay. They don't say, oh, all right, you know, because Pence says we just need the facts and we'll hold them accountable. They're not they're not slowing down at all. They want to jump all over. Them. That's their plan. They want to jump all over the president and the vice president on this issue as much as they can. 
And they're not waiting for anything. They don't want to wait for the facts. They don't want to wait to see what action he takes. They just prefer this notion that, you know, Trump is a bad guy. That helps them sleep at night. Well, one other thing, though. I, I would disagree with Vice President Pence on, on one matter or the notion that this is an attack on an independent press. Okay, well, he would write for the Washington Post, but Saudi Arabia doesn't have an independent press at all. Not, not even a little bit. Okay, there, there is not an independent press in Saudi Arabia. People say, oh, Buck, it's been getting a little better. In re- yeah, whatever. Turkey doesn't have an independent press. In fact, the country where Khashoggi was, from what we see, from what we believe, murdered, is one of the worst in the world when it comes to press freedom. Not Saudi Arabia, Turkey. Bad when it comes to press freedom. So when we say it's an attack on a free press, yeah, we live in a world where the free press is the exception, not the rule. A lot of countries have all kinds of constraints on what can be printed, what can be said, what can be shared. Lots of countries. And even countries that you think of as having a free press, maybe some of the Western European states, for example, they have restrictions based on you know hate crime legislation and all all kinds of stuff in britain there's no oh you can print you can print national security secrets because you're the press they have the official secrets act they'll lock your butt up they don't care if it's a matter of public importance they'll just lock you up so i just think everyone needs to take a deep breath and understand that yes this is bad yes the u.s should send a strong message but it's not the worst thing that's ever happened in the history of mankind. We need to take a step back here and understand that people die all over the world under terrible circumstances every day. Doesn't mean you ignore it all, but it just means that you need perspective here. And what we're going to do, even if we find out that the Saudis are as culpable as is, as has been alleged from the very beginning, meaning all the way up to the top, Maybe we'll not sell them some munitions we said we're going to sell them. Maybe we'll send them a, a strong reprimand under... We have no legal authority to do anything about this. We are not signatories. The United States is not a signatory to the International Criminal Court. So we can't go there. And we're not a signatory for a good reason, which is that the notion of an international criminal law, it doesn't really exist. I mean, yeah, there's war crimes, I guess, but... Try enforcing those unless you've already beaten the country and brought them to submission that you want to punish people in because of their war crimes, right? It's just, it's really easy to to bang the tough guy drum on this issue. It's, it's a lot harder to sit back and actually come up with constructive ways to deal with all this, you know? It's really easy to say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm all about a free press and Trump isn't doing enough. All right, what should we do? I'm not just saying, oh, we can't bring Khashoggi back, because we can't. But he's not, a, he's not an American. Why, why does it fall on us? Why does it fall on us? Just wondering. You know, wondering why that is. And I think it's because they, see, they view this, ultimately this is just another opportunity to bash the president. That's, that's what really gets them motivated. That's what gets them really excited about all this. Um, I, I wanted to uh, talk to you a bit about what's going on when it comes to immigration right now in this country. We have another caravan heading toward our southern border. I've had a chance to. I, I interviewed a Democrat congressman today on this issue, and I have many, many thoughts to share on this. 
Uh, we, we will get a, a bit deeper into the Elizabeth Warren thing because she won't stop. She's already in a very deep hole and she keeps digging and digging. And people are like, OK, you really need to stop digging or else you're going to come out the other side of the globe or something. You know, you really need to stop. And she won't stop. Not going to stop. Keep just going to keep digging. All right. So if that, that's her choice. We will discuss what it means. I think it does have some ramifications for the Democrats. Um, so we've got a lot to uh, a lot to digest here together, my friends. Let's talk immigration in just a moment. Stay with me. It's the same as the Obama law. You know, Obama had the same thing. It, it was on the books, but he didn't enforce it. You no, no, enforced no. it. You launched that the zero tolerance policy to deter families with children. No, but then in. everybody decided and the courts don't want separation. And frankly, when you don't do separate, when you allow the parents to stay together, okay, when you allow that, then what happens is people are going to pour into our country. So are you going to go back to that? There have to be consequences, Leslie, for coming into our country illegally. That's right. There have to be consequences or else we're just going to have more and more of this. Of course, the Dems, the left, the libs, they know that. They pretend that that's not really what they want, but it certainly is. It is what they want. It is what the libs are hoping we get more of. And I think that Republicans need to start pushing back whenever they're asked this question about Trump and the border and family separation and say, OK, what what immigration laws are we allowed to enforce? Who doesn't get to stay? They say, oh, well, not everyone can stay. All right. Who, tell me who does not get to stay. Those who are in the interior of the United States, according to the left, illegal aliens, they get to stay. Those who try to sneak into the country and are then caught and say they want to claim asylum, they, they, they get to stay. How, who doesn't get to stay? Oh, I'm sorry. Violent felons. And even those Democrats have a soft spot for. Even those, it's not clear that Democrats don't think that they should stay in this country because, you know, the prison conditions in other countries are so harsh. So we should probably incarcerate them here. Thank you very much, taxpayers. Right now, as I speak to you, there is another migrant caravan, as they call it. And this is just essentially a, a large swarm of soon to be illegals making their way from Honduras up through Guatemala, up through Mexico, and all the way to the interior of the United States. It has over a 1,000 people in it. Some estimates go as high as 3,000. And it is a group of people who are marching to the border to get into America. They're going to walk all the way. And there are shelters that are set up along the way now. This has become a process that these other countries are, if not encouraging, certainly turning a blind eye to. I mean, I think you could argue they're encouraging it. Why? Well, because it means that they have a means of exporting their, in many cases, uh, poorest and least educated to this country. It also means that there will be remittance dollars, huge source of, of currency in Mexico. Uh, remittances will be sent back. So we are subsidizing those economies. And who wants to guess at what rate those remittances are being taxed? Uh, that's right. Probably not being taxed at all, are they? 
So there's this caravan that's making its way up into the country, and the libs are going to do what they always do. They're going to respond to this issue emotionally. They're going to say, oh, my gosh, what about the poem on the base of the Statue of Liberty? What about Ellis Island? What about give me your tired, your weak, and blah, blah? All right, so does any mass of people that shows up at the border now get to come into the United States? Why do we even have immigration laws? Why do we have a border patrol? What is the purpose of all this? If libs are just going to grandstand every time and act like anyone who has any questions about just bringing it, whoever wants to come to this country can say, you see, ultimately, here's the problem. That the leftist project, the really the socialist, uh, the Democrat socialist project in Western Europe and in America, because there are Democrat socialists here, as we know, Bernie Sanders and others. Elizabeth Warren, but she's got other problems right now. The problem that the Democrat Socialist Project has to face is that they believe in open borders, but they also believe in a welfare state, a massive welfare state. That doesn't work. The math doesn't add up. And also people are willing to help the less fortunate from within their own community, from within their polity, right, their political union. There is still a sense of nationhood, of nationalism, should I say, where you want to, you know, I, I want to help Americans first. If we're going to have a welfare state in this country, it should be to help those who are Americans, all races, creeds and colors, help them if they're down on their luck. If we're going to have a welfare state, that should be. But if, if we have a policy of essentially anybody who shows up and has a sob, uh, a sob story about how their country has. Not, I'm not talking about people necessarily that are facing any imminent violence. They just say, oh, the jobs here are better. Well, guess what? If I show up in Switzerland and say, hey, that I, I like this place better. It's cleaner. It's more civilized. I, I demand citizenship. They're going to put my butt on a plane and kick me out of the country and never let me back. And no one's going to feel sorry for me. There is an order that countries try to maintain. Other countries are allowed to have borders. Not only that, other countries are not expected to take in millions and millions and tens of millions of people from a different culture who speak a different language and who once they come to this country increasingly claim that this country is not fair to them because we don't do enough for them. I was under the impression that if you came to America, you're supposed to feel grateful. And legal immigrants, by the way, all of you listening, high five, thank you, welcome to being part of the American family. Legal immigrants overwhelmingly do, but I do see a trend among illegal immigrants where they think that we owe them something. We owe them not just citizenship, not just permanent residency, but also all the goodies that the state can offer. Free health care, free school, free housing, free everything. Even America, with our incredible economy and our economic dynamism, and thank you, Trump, for showing us that Growth. Growth under Obama, for all the people who are saying, oh, the Obama economy is so great. Growth under Obama in his last year in office was like one point something percent. Growth under Trump's second year in office, GDP, over four percent. The single best measure we have of economic activity and what's going on in this country. So all the people think, oh, the Obama economy, we had all the please. Yes, there was a natural economic reset that occurred. Obama made it slower and more painful and less powerful than it would have been had he not gotten in the way. But he was 
ignorant of economics. I mean, Obama is just not somebody who understands business, not somebody who ever had to you know, look at a balance sheet for any length of time, not somebody who had to run a business of any kind. You know, he was in the business of Obama. It's different. <sighs> but the facts, facts cannot be allowed to get in the way of the leftist narrative with all this stuff. This group is going to uh, come to the border and they are going to be in a position where we can either let them in or not. And you know what the liberals are going to say? Let them in. And we're going to turn around and say, hold on a second, but if, if their claims of asylum allow them entry into this country, what we're really saying is that anyone can come and stay as long as they want. Anyone is allowed to show up in this country, and we effectively have an open border. Because all, that, all that's required for asylum is to say the right things. Now the word is out. Now we know what the loopholes are, right? Now the people in these communities that are coming into this country know that all they have to say is, I fear violence in my home country. I fear violence. I mean, violence can happen in anyone's country. Asylum is supposed to be for people that are fleeing either a horrific natural disaster, and by the way, they're supposed to go back usually. We give them temporary status for natural disasters uh, because we're, we, look, we're a caring country, but we're not supposed to be chumps. We're not supposed to just be, you know, the, the, the fat cow to be milked by the rest of the world. And that's what's happening. The Democrats have no way of turning this back, by the way. They understand. Uh, they understand that, quite honestly, there is no way that they can explain to the American people what it is that they really want. If they told the truth to Americans, we'd have a, we'd have a lot of folks who would say, oh, hold on a second, I don't think that's going to work. I don't think you can just bring in endless amounts of foreigners not through the legal process, not go through the normal channels of assimilation that have been in this country for centuries now, uh, join this community that now liberals speak to, specifically the illegal immigrants in this country, the, quote, undocumented, join the ranks of the aggrieved undocumented and try to get them access to the public treasury as fast as possible. We are $21 trillion in debt. I'll talk to you more about that later on in the show bringing in people without a high school level education and without English language skills by the millions is not actually making our economy stronger. That is a lie. It's an obvious lie. If, if Americans are not balancing the budget at the end of the year for the American people aren't actually paying as they go when it comes to government spending, we really think that bringing a lot of foreigners who don't have skills, who aren't going through the member, I'm talking about illegal foreigners, they're going to be the ones that set the economy right? I don't think so. I know you know this too, but man, is it frustrating. It is frustrating. You're going to hear so much. It's just going to turn into one big media sob story too. Oh, who would turn these people? Who would turn these people away? How could you? So heartless, you know, Republicans with your, your top hats and your monocles stepping over poor people on the way to work. It's crazy. Uh, we will talk about Elizabeth Warren. Focahontas, as she is called by our president. That's coming up. Background checks are essential. No matter what size business you're in, you're going to make sure that you've got people coming in who have represented themselves properly to you, don't have any criminal issues in their background, don't have any major financial issues, and 
uh, lawsuits against them. That's where backgrounds are essential. And that's why you need Global Verification Network to be your background investigation and vetting company. They have risk mitigation experts headquartered in Chicago, and they have offices throughout the country. All employees are located here in the United States. And Global Verification is a veteran-owned and operated company, a veteran-owned small business, folks. So support them. Any company, any size, this is who you should have doing your background checks. Just call them. They'll set you up with a plan. You'll love the service. They know what they're doing. MyGVN.com. Again, MyGVN, MyGVN.com or 877-695-1179. It is emphatically not the duty of the courts to manage the United States government to pass judgment on every policy action that the executive branch takes. To make matters worse, the idea that any district judge can demand to see the deliberations of the executive branch will also inevitably have a chilling effect. Subjecting the executive branch to this kind of discovery is not acceptable. It's just not. And we intend to fight it, and we intend to win. Attorney General Jeff Sessions. That's right. Hearing from Jeff a little bit. It's always nice to hear from the man. You know, I, I think that he understands and has understood all along that the judiciary is unfortunately a hotbed of hashtag resistance and that you have all you have a lot of judges who, for whatever reason, have taken it upon themselves that they need to stand athwart Trump and the executive power that he clearly has. And do everything that they can to stop him. They view themselves as a check. And not a check based upon constitutional interpretation. No, they just don't like what Trump does. And these activist judges need to stop. And this effort to try and get around executive privilege. You know, you saw this with the Kavanaugh hearings where they're saying, oh, they don't have enough documents. They don't have enough documents. Uh, they don't get to see everything that was ever done in the Bush White House just because they want to find something to try and slime Kavanaugh with and you know that all, all they really had to do was wait around until their nonsense assault allegations could be leveled that was the whole point that was the game they were playing so why pretend like there was something else going on of course as we know they have no honor so they have no honor to protect and that gives you a lot of latitude with these matters but the whole issue of judges and activist judges is a reminder of both what was done to this country before by the Obama administration and what is at stake in the midterms in just a few weeks. President Obama was responsible in his eight years for stacking the federal courts with about 30% of federal judges became Obama appointees. A huge number. And those are appointments that will be around for decades. So Obama left him, and we see that mark on the courts now because they are standing in front of Trump's agenda and making ridiculous. I mean, the, the Ninth Circuit, I'm surprised they're not going to overturn whatever court told Stormy Daniels that her defamation suit with Avenatti wasn't going forward. And actually, Stormy Daniels might have to pay the legal fees incurred by Trump. That's quite a loss in the world of a defamation case. That is quite a smackdown. But judges matter. They matter even more to the left than they matter to us because we just hope the judges will keep things even and fair. They hope the judges will hand them what they could never get through the legislative process. 
So judges are essential to the leftist project. And that's why the more judges that we can get that are constitutional conservatives, the less they can put up there who are leftist legislators in black robes. And it obviously really agitates them. That is, which is fun. It is fun. I, you know, own the lib sometimes. It's something you got to do. It's fun. I am absolutely in favor of putting as many constitutional conservatives as possible in the court as fast as possible. And Mitch McConnell's been doing that, by the way, even more judges. I mean, they're just Mitch McConnell is a lean, mean judge confirmation machine. That's right. I am. And he's doing whatever he can to get that done. And that's his legacy as a conservative. He knows it. You know, you say what you will about Mitch and the swamp and all that stuff. He has been a warrior for conservative judges getting on the bench and getting the highest courts, as we know, with Kavanaugh and elsewhere. That's at stake, though, here. If the Democrats were to take control of the Senate, you could say goodbye to getting any good judges through. If the Democrats take control of the Senate, it's going to be a complete stoppage on federal judges unless you put forward a Merrick Garland type. And anyone who you think might be kind of a centrist, according to the way the media describes them, trust me, that judge is a leftist. So you might get somebody like a Merrick Garland to come through. Uh, but overall, they'll, they'll bring it to a screeching halt. So, so at, a, at some level, there's, there's a judge issue at stake here, or judges are at stake with the midterms. I think we're good on the, on the Senate side. But then you go to the House side of the equation, you realize that we will be subjected to a, a stoppage of Trump's most important policy agenda items if the Democrats take the House. It'll be over. You know, maybe they'll play a little play a little footsie with our side when it comes to an infrastructure bill, but it's it's over in terms of getting a wall, immigration reform, all that. That's not going to happen. And we are going to be in a two-year-long grinding battle where all the media is going to want to do is try to exact revenge on Trump and all of his supporters for the humiliations that they've endured, that the media has endured for the last couple of years. You'll be treated to the most politicized and nonsensical investigations imaginable. And you will see, sure enough, that, yeah, they're going to make this about about impeachment. Even if they know they can't remove the president, they want to impeach him just to put a stain on his presidency that they can then use to try to run someone in 2020. Now, the good news for us is that the Democrats so far have nobody realistic that they can run against Trump in 2020. I mean, it's this list that, that I saw earlier this week that CNN had the polling on on who could be who could be up against Trump. I mean, you had at the top of the list, Joe Biden. Come on, guys. Biden? That's the best you can do? Below Biden, you had Warren. I don't think she's exactly going to be a threat. I don't think I don't think Warren's got it. Uh, you had some other names on there, you know, Kamala Harris. Why? Because she checks some boxes that the left likes. Nothing, nothing that you've ever seen her do legislatively or otherwise that was impressive. And I, I've heard from people that it was someone on her staff. I don't know this, but the rumor that and I'm reporting on a rumor. I know you can yell at me later. The rumor I heard was that it was someone on her staff, not Feinstein's staff that actually leaked that information. I don't have 
proof of that. I'm not naming anybody, obviously, because I don't have proof of it. But that was what I heard, and that wouldn't surprise me. We had that other staffer, a, con- a congressional staffer, who was leaking the personal information of Republican senators, uh, doxing them, straight up doxing them. He's facing real time in prison, and he should go. But I, I hope the GOP has had a wake up call here, and that's really what I'm focused on. I, I hope that Republicans, that every person who voted for Trump, understands that all the good things that are happening come to effectively come to a if not a halt let's say they 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 continue at half power at best sure there'll still be some executive orders still there'll, there'll be deregulatory stuff but if we lose the house you're going to see that the resistance will dig in and all of the craziness that we've seen them engage in in the last two years all that anti-trump psychosis will be directed into the House of Representatives waging a campaign of just attrition against the Trump administration, just just trying to tire them out and exhaust it with subpoenas and all the grandstanding and all the media appearance and everything. Oh, what's their agenda going to be? Oh, you know, stuff, Russia collusion stuff. I mean, it's just going to be crap. So America is really going to suffer. So this election, I'm not going to say it's the most important election of our lifetime. Everyone always says that. That's garbage. It's an important election, though. And if you really think that Trump is part of a political revolution and what he's doing is, as I really do believe, is benefiting this country tremendously. We got to go to the barricades on this one. We got to fight. Politically speaking. We got much more coming up, team. Stay with me. Every day starts the same way for me, my friends, with a cup of black, black rifle coffee. That's right. I'm drinking a black these days because it is delicious, roast-to-order, small-batch coffee that you're going to want to really taste. You're not going to want to pour a bunch of creamer in this, okay? You're not in the former Soviet Union. You have to drown out the taste of the crappy beans you're drinking. Drink Patriot-approved coffee, black rifle coffee. Go to blackriflecoffee.com buck. And you'll see you can get 15% off your order there, okay? BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck. 15% off your first order. Have it delivered to you. Never have to think about buying coffee again. What brand are you buying right now? I'm really asking you that. Black Rifle tastes better than it, and it's owned and operated by veterans who love this country and share your ideals and your values. Take action. BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck. You'll get 15% off your first order. New York's 11th district voted for Trump by a huge margin. It includes all of Staten Island and it feels nothing like where we came from this morning. Especially here in New Dorp, where Republican Congressman Dan Donovan asked us to meet him. Why'd you want to meet at ShopRite? Well, this is where you find out what was really on people's minds. What Absolutely. does it say there? Stand for the flag, flag kneel for the kneel cross. Kneel for the cross. Absolutely. And if you don't like it, go to Venezuela. <laughs> you think you'll go vote for the congressional election? Oh, I will. And what'll be the things that are on your mind the most? Supporting my president. Supporting your president. Same thing. I love Donald Trump. He's great. A lot of Democrats out here feel the same way you do. Especially after the Kavanaugh thing. So many women that work here were outraged by that. Really? Yes. The way he was treated. Just the the treatment. What do you want from your congressman? Oh my God, and I would love to see a wall built. I would love to see his agenda move forward. I love these ladies. Great stuff here. That was an NBC reporter. First of all, I love the lady. He's like, if you don't like it, go to Venezuela. She sounds like she's lives in uh, in the New York area, so she reminds me of home. If you don't like it, you 
go to Venezuela, uh, which, you know, that, that should be a fun, that should be a, a sign in a lot of Trump rallies. You know, if you don't, if you don't want a MAGA, go to Venezuela. That, I, John, I think we could sell that t-shirt. What do you think? It's a little long, though, but it's catchy. But you, you noticed that there was that woman in that, in that montage. We need a montage. Uh, who said that women were outraged by Kavanaugh. You don't hear that from the media, do you? You really never hear that. You never hear that women were outraged by Kavanaugh, uh, meaning outraged by the attacks on Kavanaugh. They were outraged at him being treated so badly, treated so poorly and so unfairly by the Democrats and by the media. This is this is one of the, the biggest... Uh, miscalculations the Democrats have made since they all assumed that it probably is, in fact, the biggest miscalculation that the left has made since they assumed Hillary was going to be Trump, which they did. They assumed that that was happening. Uh, the biggest miscalculation that they've made is that going absolutely scorched earth to, to try to to try to carpet bomb Kavanaugh during those hearings, uh, that that wouldn't have any backlash or that at least if Kavanaugh got through and they put up the fight in that way they would be rewarded by their base but not punished by the average American that's not the case they are being punished by the average American voter people are not okay with what has happened here they do not think it is acceptable that uh, all this has happened and and that's why you know they're they're having to deal with the reality of hold on a second maybe Maybe this isn't going to work out the way we thought. John, play clip 14. I didn't accept the theory that there was a blue wave. And I'm still of that opinion. We were in better shape had we not gone through the horror of the Kavanaugh activities. We lost on that issue. We united the Republican Party. They are no longer asleep. They are energized. That's right. You know what it was? And this was powerful. It was more powerful than really any slogan the Republicans under the circumstances could have come up with. The assault on Kavanaugh, which I am very proud of all the support that I got from all of you, all of you listening to this, because I took heat for that. We had a we had a show and producer Mike, you can correct me when it was. I think it was two or three days into the allegations. We had a show, They're Lying About Kavanaugh was the title of it. That wasn't after the gang rape allegations. That wasn't after the you know, Avenatti clown show came into town. That was on just the Blasey Ford allegations. She was, she was not telling the truth. She might have thought she was telling the truth, but what she was saying was not the truth. I did not believe her. And a lot of you came came to uh, came to my side there because I'm telling you I got I had people from other networks reaching out to me. You're gonna you're destroying your career. Don't do this. You're make you know how dare you say you don't believe her? You know I had people that were were really oh and never mind also people oh you know you're a, you're an apologist for rapists and all this I'm terrible stuff. But I knew I knew what they were trying to pull and I knew it was bogus and you knew it too. And you who listen to this show, you who are a part of Team Buck, made sure that I knew that you had my back through this whole thing. 
And that whatever, you know, consequences I may have faced professionally, you were going to be with me for doing the right thing, for standing up. And, man, we made a lot of noise because I also had people, look, I, I had people in the White House say, really appreciate that you're, you're willing to say what needs to be said about Kavanaugh. That's the truth. People in the White House were, were reaching out at that same time and letting me know that they noticed. And there were, like I said, there were a few of us on this one. But, man, that was... That was a, a dark time in this country's history. It was the most disgusting, most obvious smear effort anybody could have ever imagined. And they almost, they, I keep wanting to tell everybody, you know, yes, we should be happy that he got through, but they almost got away with it. They almost stopped him. And we need to remember that too. We need to keep it in mind. And, you know, they're not done with this either. They they haven't decided to let this go. So while right now they're a little they're a little bit caught flat footed because of what this is doing for their electoral prospects, right? There, there's a there's something of an understanding on the left that oh my gosh we we overplayed our hand we we made mistakes here we shouldn't have done this the way we did. Uh, that's that's real. That sentiment is real. Um, they also haven't given up on the notion that maybe they'll maybe they will still find a way to get rid of Kavanaugh somehow. I mean the the most loony left lawmakers that's a fun alliteration. The most loony left lawmakers are still out there talking about this and you know what I'm talking about loony and the left. It's very possible that Maxine Waters is going to enter the discussion play 12 never stop and that is what we have to do with what happened with Kavanaugh and uh, this confirmation process it was heartbreaking uh, but I think women are not going to recede women are going to continue to confront what took place in that confirmation and him and he won't rest easy in his job he won't rest easy in his job what is that supposed to mean you know, the, the left is willing to go to these extremes whenever they don't get their way. They don't like what happens with the Senate. Maybe we shouldn't have a Senate. They don't like what happens in the Supreme Court. Maybe we shouldn't have a Supreme Court. They don't like that it's a 5-4 court. Maybe we should have 11 people on the court. I mean, wh whatever it is, they have no respect for the system whatsoever unless the system gives them what they want. They don't view the system as a necessary mechanism for managing our disputes and conflicts in a civil fashion. They don't seem to understand that the Constitution, other than, yes, creating the basic construct for our government, and when it comes to the Bill of Rights, is really just about processes and things that the government can't do to you. It doesn't just say the government has to be amazing, the government has to be wonderful, because what does that mean? It says the government cannot do the following. The government must respect the following because we're trying to create a systematic approach to every individual system that the go citizen rather that the government must follow. But you see the left because they are both petty totalitarians and statists are willing to reform the system however they see fit whenever they see fit. And they have no shame about this. They they have no sense of their own hypocrisy. Because they only do this when they don't get their way. They only do this when they don't have the power that they think they deserve. And I would just note that this is problematic. 
to say the least. Uh, we'll get into some more of this coming up. Stay with me. In China, the government is engaged in the persecution of religious and ethnic minorities. At least a million Uyghurs and other Muslim minorities have been imprisoned in so-called re-education camps. These detentions are being conducted under the guise of neutralizing extremist groups. Prisoners are tortured. They are forced to renounce their religion and to pledge allegiance to the Communist Party. China is an authoritarian state. Now, I point this out not just as a reminder and also as a moment, uh, taking a moment here to say that if we are concerned about national security threats, if we really want to talk about who we need to keep an eye on, China is far and away based on population size, based on economy, based on its military, based on its aggressive acts to try and steal our intellectual property and our government and military secrets. China is our only near peer competitor, period. Russia is not even the same ball game, okay? R Russia isn't even worth talking about in the same way. Russian GDP is $1 trillion, folks, okay? It's $1 trillion. Chinese GDP, as of 2016, was $11.2 trillion, okay? It is it's over 10 times the size of the Russian economy, 10x. Okay, that, that's not a gap that the, that the Russians are going to be able to make up for anytime soon. So the Chinese are the real concern. Why am I bringing this up? Well, as we've been discussing here on the show, there's a tremendous amount of concern about Khashoggi and the Saudis. And I've, I've told you why this is. All of a sudden, everyone's, oh, my gosh, Saudi's so brutal and so terrible. Oh, gosh. And I'm not saying what they did wasn't brutal and terrible. It was. But the Saudis have been brutal and terrible for a long time. They are, meaning the media, using this as an opportunity not just to raise the issue because it's considered one of their own, so to speak, as a journalist, but also as a means of hitting Trump. But what I think is so interesting is that if the standard is really that Americans need to be willing to take risks, to risk their own foreign policy interests and everything else based on humanitarian concerns in other countries, what do we do about China? Why is it that now we're hearing, oh, we need to take this really strong line against Saudi Arabia because of what it did here? China's one-child policy is more barbaric. I know they've changed it, but China has, has engaged in worse humanitarian uh, repression than really any other country in the world except for North Korea. And that's... Not something you're hearing much in the press right now because no serious person is really going to say, oh, yeah, let's let's go after China on this issue and let's punish our own economy on a humanitarian. It's one thing to do it for trade, one thing to do it for our interests. But, you know, the idea of America first means that we're concerned with our own stuff, first and foremost. We're not playing world police anymore. America, buck, yeah, see, buck like my name. It makes a better song. Um, but we're, we're really not supposed to be running around telling everybody what was one thing. We can tell them whatever we want, but but trying to force them to act in a certain way, because that's all we'll be doing. And we will lose a lot in the process. And we probably won't even get what we want in the long run. And here here's an example of what I mean. You have Google 
massive. It's own Alphabet is the parent company of Google now. Google's a massive company, right? Google's huge. I mean, we're talking it's a trillion dollar company now, basically. And it recently refused to continue to work with the Pentagon. All right, the U.S. Um, the U.S. project, uh, U.S. government projects with the Pentagon involved, uh, they won't do that anymore. They they refuse. So Google has a has a moral issue with working with the United States government, and the Pentagon, even for technology that just is applicable to that. And so Google said, oh, no, we can't do that. We're going to step away from that. Meanwhile. This is this was in The Washington Post earlier today, quote, Google finally confirmed a secretive project that's been fueling an employee led backlash for weeks at the company, an effort to build a version of its search engine that complies with China's online censorship regime. The project, codenamed Dragonfly, is not only real, but is already performing to the satisfaction of top Google executives. And it could pave the way for Google to re-enter China's online search market after nearly a decade. If Google were to operate in China, what would it look like? What queries will we be able to serve? Chief Executive Sundar Pichai said during an event hosted by Wired on Monday night. It turns out we'll be able to serve well over 99% of the queries. The announcement could prompt more questions from U.S. policymakers, some of whom have accused Google of being evasive about Project Dragonfly. Meanwhile, Google and its peers in the tech industry are facing intense scrutiny over its approach to user privacy and data, with some lawmakers talking about blah, 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 blah. Okay, well, there's that, but the, the bigger backlash, as far as I'm concerned, has to do with Google and this, this Pentagon project and why they won't, they don't feel any, any obligation whatsoever as a U.S. company uh, to keep working on this out of, out of patriotism. Um, here's, here's the New York Times piece back in, uh, back in early June of this year. Quote, Google hoping to head off a rebellion by employees upset that the technology they were working on could, could be used for lethal purposes, will not renew a contract with the Pentagon for artificial intelligence work when a current deal expires next year. This is a perfect example of the diluted pie-in-the-sky liberalism that defines the modern left today. You know, the the super elites at Google with you know near unlimited funds and a tremendous amount of power and reach, they have a big problem when it comes to working with the United States government for technology that could have, I mean, no one's saying Google has to build bombs, but they won't let them use AI because the AI maybe will help guide missiles or, you know, no, they won't work with the Pentagon. No sense of patriotism, no sense of duty to country for people at Google. Meanwhile, Google couldn't have existed anywhere else. I mean, it couldn't have been built anywhere else in the world, couldn't exist anywhere else in the world the way that it does in the United States. All right, so it has benefited dramatically from being a, a U.S. company. And they don't feel any obligation whatsoever, which I think is really shameful. Meanwhile, meanwhile, they're perfectly willing to work on a project that is that is absolutely a part of Chinese censorship efforts that is meant to be a part of China's enormous surveillance apparatus. They're, so that's okay. Right, that they will work within they will work within the censored realm of China and say, oh yeah, we'll tailor this so that it doesn't offend your your Chinese censorship sensibilities. Uh, 
but they won't work with the United States government. Let, let that sink in for a moment. And understand that this is not a one-off. This mentality of acting like the United States government is the bad guy and any foreign government, because it's not America, should get at least different treatment, you know, should get a pass on some of this stuff. This is not limited to this one case. This is prominent on the left. And there is so much that you will see with the moral relativists, because liberalism is based today, and the libs, the left, all about moral relativism. You know, what's true for one person is not true for another. What's good for you is not good for this other person, right? There's white privilege and there's intersectionality and there's all this different stuff. And they're really just making it up as they go along. But the moral relativism also extends into international relations. And it means that they're willing, for example, right now to call out Saudi Arabia because it hurts Trump. Meanwhile, they won't talk about what's going on with Islam in that country, that Saudi Arabia is the heartland of Islam. They won't, that, that never gets brought in the discussion because that's not what the point they want to make. And they also won't enforce this new tough guy, oh gosh, we can't allow human rights abuses mentality uh, against China. They'll only do it against Saudi Arabia and only right now because it allows them to hit Trump. These people have no scruples. And honestly, a lot of them have no patriotism either. We should just say that because it's true. I'm going to take a DNA test. All of you have. I've been told that my grandmother was part Cherokee Indian. It may all be just talk. But you're going to find out in a couple of weeks, because I'm going to take this test. You are going to take it. I'm taking it, and the results are going to be revealed here. This is my Trump moment. This is why reality you TV. Take, why right. you I just, I'm dying to know. Because <laughs> I'm you dying. Can... You know, I didn't really think much about it. But she's less than one-tenth of one percent. I think I can beat her. I think I can beat her. Right. And if you do beat her, will you ask for a million dollars from the president, too? No, I want a casino and a million bucks. <laughs> Come Thank back you. in a couple of weeks and yeah. we'll take and a look. We'll, we'll find we'll out who you really are. I'll probably be Iranian. That'd be like terrible. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, they're great people, just bad leaders. Yeah, bad leaders. All right. So I, I, I like everything Lindsey Graham was saying there till the very end. I don't. I, I, he, he was. He didn't mean it the way that it sounded. I could say that. I, I he just misspoke. Uh, you know, he, he didn't mean that. He just meant Iran is a bad country. Iran is not bad people. In fact, Iranians. I've had many Iranian friends throughout my life and. Uh, it would be a great day to have the Iranian people in Iran able to have the same, some of the same freedoms as the uh, wonderful Iranians that live in this country. Uh, we've had a whole diaspora of Iranians here. Anyway, I love the other stuff he was saying, though, about how he's going to take a DNA test. I mean, Lindsey Graham is, you know, he, he's very much, uh, very much a man struck by a kind of new swagger. Because I, I think that he really understands... Uh, he, he really understands that you got to be willing to fight the other side. You got to be willing to go to the mat. I mean, Lindsay, in a sense, kind of mirrors my own feelings last few weeks where I've just said in the last few months, you know what? As much as as much as I always want to leave the door open for the other side and I want I want people on the left to listen to this show. I want, you know, honest, good Democrats to listen to this show as much as they're willing to uh, in terms of their of the ideas we can't just oppose them. We, we got to crush the ideas. I don't crush people, but I want to crush ideas. And that means sometimes, yes, as the kids say, we might have to own the libs a little bit. Uh, so Lindsey Graham, I, I like that he's been 
you know, he's had a little more swagger, as I've been saying. And I also think that, you know, on immigration, he has some interesting things to say. I, I, I got to get him. I got to get him a little more uh, hardline on this stuff, folks. Here's what he said. Play clip eight. There are 11 million illegal immigrants here that came from really poor countries. What do we do with them? I want a merit-based immigration system. You got to get Democrats and Republicans working together, build the wall, control who gets a job, more legal immigration, move to merit-based immigration. You can't ignore the 11 million. There'll never be a deal with a Democratic Party that doesn't uh, deal with the 11 million who are non-felons who've been here for 20 and 30 years. Once you get them in a good spot, you can have a new immigration system. You know, I, I don't think he gets it on this one yet, folks. I think that Lindsey is a little is a little too squishy on this issue. As I've been saying, thank you, Yale University math nerds, for backing me up on this. It's not 11 million. It's 20 million. It's 20 to zero at least. I, I don't know what we have to do to get people to understand this. It is not 11. It is 20 million at a minimum, which is a vast number of people from a, uh, generally speaking, from one country, from Mexico. I mean, the, the vast majority of them are from Mexico, which also happens to be a neighbor of ours geographically with a, with an enormous border. And, you know, it, it poses its own issues for political unity in this country. It really does. I know people are not allowed to. National security analysts will tell you that when you have a population that has uh, that has moved across a border that has fought wars over that border. We don't often think about that, but we fought a war with Mexico over that border. And then you have a population that maintains a tremendous and continue tremendously you know, powerful and continuing tie to the. The what's considered still the homeland of the mother country, uh, you have a, a recipe for destabilization. You really do. I mean, politically, at a minimum, destabilization, and that's you know that's something that I think is uh, you know ne- needs to be remembered here. I, I think Lindsey Graham is much. Look, I I give Lindsey a lot of credit for the whole Kavanaugh thing, but as much as I'd like to just look at that and say it's all fine now, they're going to get fooled on immigration again. They're talking about doing this deal. And the deal is going to be amnesty, and then we'll see what happens for your security. We'll see what happens with this request for a wall. And that's not good enough. That's not acceptable. Lindsay talked a little bit more about this deal that he thinks is going to happen. Play seven. The House has a billion and a half for the wall. I mean, excuse me, five billion. The Senate has a billion and a half. We'll close the gap. Uh, DACA, remember that? 690,000 kids brought here on the average age of six. No place else to go. Trump's going to win in court. He can repeal DACA. The day he wins in court, what do we do with these uh, young people? So I'd like to do a deal. Full wall funding for DACA. Full wall funding for DACA. That, that I, I think... I think you could sell that to the Republic, the GOP base. If it was full wall funding, you get that five billion, and it's just deferred action still. All right, it's not a, a but it, you know it can't be it can't be citizenship and it can't be permanent. It's just okay. Well, we're gonna have a we're gonna see how this goes, and because you can't discuss what you're gonna do with the not eleven but twenty million illegals in this country until you have a reasonable assurance that you're not going to be dealing with another 20 million in 10 years. And if you, by the way, understand that the 
political sway that the Latino Democrat community in this country will have for even more uh, unrestricted immigration, particularly from you know, from south of the border, uh, that will skew the entire debate and discussion going forward. And all Democrats will see is that they will be importing masses of new voters who will essentially make the Republican Party a, you know, a an afterthought. I mean, they will they will be able to turn America into a one party state. That's the game the Democrats are playing. And Republicans keep thinking about this like, well, you know, maybe we can deal with them. The Democrats are looking at the immigration issue as how do we make the Republican Party extinct? And Republicans are all, oh, you know, maybe there's a little here and there. No, no. Bad idea. Very bad idea. Um, We've got much more coming up, team. Uh, Stay right there. Stay with me. With all the recent news about online security breaches, it's hard not to worry about where my data goes. Making an online purchase or simply accessing your email could put your private information at risk. You're being tracked online by social media sites, marketing companies, and your mobile or internet provider. Not only can they record your browsing history, but they often sell it to other corporations who want to profit from your information. That's why I decided to take my privacy back by using ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN has easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background of my computer, phone, and tablet. Turning on ExpressVPN takes only one click and costs less than $7 a month. It is the number one VPN service by TechRadar. Comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Protect your online activity today and found out, find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash buck. That's expressvpn.com slash buck for three months free with a one-year package. Expressvpn.com slash buck. As a kid, I never asked my mom for documentation when she talked about our Native American heritage. What kid would? But I knew my father's family didn't like that she was part Cherokee and part Delaware. So my parents had to elope. Let me be clear. I never asked for and never got any benefit because of my heritage. The people who hired me have all said they didn't even know about it. She is such a fraud. I mean, she's such a fraud that she can only keep digging in deeper and make the fraud even worse. Elizabeth Warren, you... (laughs) Oh, man, she's given us the most entertaining 24 hours in the news cycle of of anything I have seen in a, in a long time, she just keeps digging in. I, I have other there's other audio too of, of how we heard this this story from her, uh, where she kept talking about how there was a a problem with her parents, right? A, a problem where her parents weren't supposed to be dating because their parents or well, you know one set of parents thought that they were too Native American, so were they just mistaken all that time? The whole thing, it just, you know, it really reminds me of it reminds me of the kind of narrative creation that Obama had about his life. I'm not saying that it was false, but there definitely was, although I'm not saying it wasn't, there wasn't some false stuff in there. There's definitely a sense of, you know, Obama was was making a an autobiography that was a construct. And, and Warren, I think, tried the same thing here with, oh, you know, she had to deal with racism herself, you know, in her own family and. She is she is as white as white gets. She's the whitest white lady you'll ever find anywhere. And we all know this. Let me tell you something. Speaking from a white dude's perspective, 
I know a white dude or a white gal when I see one. And Elizabeth Warren is white. So this whole game she's playing is completely and utterly ridiculous. But she just keeps digging down. She keeps digging down, and, and it just gives our president an incredible opportunity to just lay lay her campaign out and destroy it even before it happens for 2020. Of all of the presidential tweet storms, and there have been a lot of them, this is among my very favorite. Earlier this morning, President Trump writes the following, quote, Pocahontas, the bad version, sometimes referred to as Elizabeth Warren, is getting slammed. She took a bogus DNA test and it showed that she may be one 1,024th far less than the average American. Now the Cherokee Nation denies her. Quote, DNA test is useless. Even they don't want her. Phony. <laughs> so what he's referring to is that a, a representative of the Cherokee Nation went on TV on CNN and said that this was a disgrace, essentially, and that the DNA test doesn't mean anything and that Elizabeth Warren should not be stealing the heritage of Native peoples for her own purposes, that that's not something that should be happening. Uh, and yet it did. But Trump was not done with her. He also tweeted, Now that her claims of being Indian heritage have turned out to be a scam and a lie, Elizabeth Warren should apologize for, perpetu uh, for perpetrating, or perpetuating, this fraud against the American public. Harvard called her a person of color, amazing con, and would not have taken her otherwise. This is the only place where there seems to be some, some real, you know, some good faith, or not even good, no, not good faith, strike that from the record. Some not laughable argument. I mean, the notion that Elizabeth Warren is a Cherokee or could consider herself a Native American is, is, laughable to any serious human being laughable i mean you should laugh about it as the wall street journal said if she is a person of color then words have no meaning she is as far from a person of color as anyone could possibly be and and yet she still kind of she she still clings to it but then there's this point of well did she receive any benefit my friends there is so much circumstantial evidence that she received a benefit that it is also laughable to suggest that that she did not um, that she did not have the and I'm not somebody who's a school snob, but she did not have the academic pedigree for her law school to then go on to be a professor at the University of Pennsylvania, an Ivy League school and Harvard considered to be the number one school and, and really the number one law school in the United States. No way that happens unless the hiring committees think that they can they can. It's very important to them when they put out these reports. Very important that they have a Native American on the faculty. That's a big, big deal for them. They have their pick. They can have anyone they want. And that's why. Also, why would Elizabeth Warren list herself as such unless it gave her some benefit? It's a bizarre thing to do unless you were gaming the system. The only reason you would do that if you were Elizabeth Warren and clearly not a person of color would be to gain the system. So it just defies belief. <laughs> it's completely ridiculous. I can tell you that I, I spoke to, because I have access to a lot of Democrats at the Hill, uh, and I spoke to Democrats today who are colleagues, and I got to say, they were, all, they were all saying it too. They're like, this is just, there's no excuse. There's nothing you can say about it. That she thought that this proved her case was completely insane. 
Donald Trump also had one more tweet on this. He, he wrote, thank you to the Cherokee Nation for revealing that Elizabeth Warren, sometimes referred to as Pocahontas, is a complete and total fraud. <laughs> sometimes referred to as Pocahontas. He has defeated really the progressive frontrunner for 2020 before she was even able to get into the race officially. And he defeated her by getting inside her head and forcing her to make one of the great unforced political errors of all time. I have never seen anything quite like this. Uh, this, this is truly, truly astonishing. Uh, but then the president had this thing today later on. And I got to say, I don't know what's going on here. Uh, I want the president focused on what matters. And I want the president on policy. And look, fighting back, absolutely. But uh, what is this thing about? What is this thing about? Oh, horse. Oh, yes. Here's what he wrote. Federal judge throws out Stormy Daniels lawsuit versus Trump. Trump is entitled to uh, legal fees. Great. Now I can go after Horseface and her third rate lawyer in the great state of Texas. She will confirm the letter she signed. She knows nothing about me. A total con. You know, it's interesting. Trump really holds out here that that this is a lie start to finish. And I have thought that, uh, that that there's no way that she's lying about Trump just because of the detail. And they, they look, they do know each other. They have had contact. It's not like the Kavanaugh allegation. And one, it's nothing. There's nothing criminal about anything that's even alleged about Trump with Stormy Daniels. Uh, or I should say about his contact with her. And people are saying this, oh, the campaign finance. That's just pathetic. No, no shot. No chance. Um but I got to say, now I'm thinking, you know, is it is it why? Why do people jump to the conclusion that Trump actually had had this affair with her? Um, when I say well, I shouldn't say jump to the conclusion, I think that's obvious. But why are we so sure? A lot of people I know seem very, very sure about it. I, I'm I'm just keep, I'm keeping an open mind. There's no there's never been any proof offered that I'm aware of. Meaning she's never been able to show text messages or emails or anything that, you know, that, that, that relates to the affair. She just gave this description of him. And, you know, there's another part of this. And I'm just thinking through this. Her whole description of Trump in her book, it's like she wrote the description based on what she knew the media would want her to say, which was just be really uh, lascivious and degrading and nasty toward toward the president. So... Um, you know, I, I had thought that the president, this is before he was the president, I had thought that maybe he, uh, you know, had strayed from his marital vow here. And I was willing to say, look, I, I care about what he's doing as president and the political movement he represents. I'm not I'm not sitting around trying to judge all politicians by every every action in their lives, um, especially because, as you know, they'll only do that. They'll only enforce that against Republicans. They won't enforce it against Democrats. But there's also this part of me that thinks, well, you know, maybe there's something else here. It, it just I'm thinking about it. Right. I'm thinking about it. I'm not totally sold one way or the other. But now they 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 are all focused on the president referring to a woman as horse face. You know, I, this is where I say Trump was winning and winning and winning this week. And this feels a little bit like it feels a little bit like an unnecessary distraction. And, and not something that I would really want the president to say. But that said, maybe when you're when you're this 
when you're this POTUS, when you're in his position and you're fighting against everybody and, and it's all an uphill battle, maybe there's just going to be these, you know, he's, it's not, they're not all going to be uh, hits, right? They're not all going to be great. So that's a part of it, too. And maybe he's human, which we all know he is. Maybe he's imperfect, which we all know he is. Uh, and I think that we should be able to have that talk uh, among those of us who really support the president and his agenda, which I clearly do, and still be willing to say, okay, I kind of wish he hadn't called some woman horseface on Twitter. I just, I think that that's, you know, that's a little, that's a little bit beneath where, where our president should be. That said, he's been crushing everything else all week and been amazing. So, you know, so he's not perfect. He's pretty darn good though. So, you know, I'll, I'll give it to him on that. And that's, I think that's an okay standard to have for politicians. You know, he's not perfect. He's pretty darn good. He really is. Um, and I, I've seen recently some some conservatives, I think, start to come around to this notion of why do we have to why do we have to pretend like any politician is perfect? Why do we have to pretend like anyone is is beyond or not just pretend, but hold them up to this standard of of moral probity that isn't there for anybody else really in public life? Look, I mean, Trump has made more mistakes than a lot of other folks in that area, but he's also clearly got a gift for politics, for entertainment, and he is he is the man for this era. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, let, let let me tell you why I say, let me tell you why I say that instead of just stating it outright. Let, let me break that down a little bit. Why? Here's a perfect example of why I give Trump a lot of leeway. Why I cut this president a lot of slack on some of the tweets or some of the stuff he says about. You know, people here or there that I feel like maybe are it's going a little far. Here's why. If it weren't for someone like Donald Trump, if we had a Mitt Romney instead of Donald Trump and Elizabeth Warren was going to be the 2020 candidate, it would just be him getting attacked all the time. Our guy getting attacked, not fighting back. And Elizabeth Warren getting away with being a huge fraud who advocates for all kinds of class warfare while she's making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. As a she was as a tenured professor at Harvard Law School, I think a quarter of a million dollars a year. She's making plenty of money. She's got plenty of money. Um, and and all of that falseness, all that falsehood that she's out there peddling to people would really go unchallenged in a meaningful way. And then worst of all, if she were to win the presidency against a Romney like figure, you and I would have a harder time putting food on the table, paying our mortgages or in my case, rent. You know, paying our bills, taking care of family, taking care of medical bills. It would all be harder because of Elizabeth Warren, because she has wrong ideas, because she's self-involved, because she doesn't understand the way the world really works, and because she's benefited from this system, the system in place that the left holds up at all costs of some people, you know, get... Uh, get special privileges some people will get pushed through now and, and others are told well you have some form of privilege so you have to just suffer in silence i'm sorry uh, trump has saved us from yet another progressive destruction machine in this case it would have been elizabeth warren so while i'm laughing about the whole thing he's also done the nation a great service by making sure that elizabeth warren focahontas does not become president What's going on with the debt? It's very disturbing, and it's, it's driven by the three big entitlement programs that are very popular, Medicare, Social Security, and Medicaid. That's 70% of what we spend every year. The subject we were just discussing, the funding of the government, is about 
of what we spent. Uh, there's been a bipartisan reluctance to tackle entitlement changes because of the popularity of those uh, programs. Uh, hopefully, at some point here, uh, we'll get serious about this. We haven't been yet. Mitch McConnell wants us to get serious. Look, I, I say it with love because Mitch, Mitch is a boss. Mitch got it done. Mitch held the line for Kavanaugh. There are some people now that uh, you know I will always have a soft spot for, uh, and, and because of that Kavanaugh fight, which was one of the nastiest political fights of my lifetime, okay? And Mitch McConnell, God bless, man. When it counted, you were there. When it counted, your shield was high. Uh, you know, I, I, there's a Lindsey Graham. I wasn't a huge Lindsey fan in the past, but first of all, Lindsey Graham's gotten a little saucy lately, too. He's really letting the left have it. I like Lindsay Unleashed. You know, he's doing his thing. But another one who's in that category. And and I take a much a much softer tone on Jeff Flake, too. He he could have ingratiated himself, himself to the uh, MSNBC crowd, but instead he did the right thing. And in the end, he made a mistake. He could have cost us the whole thing. So I'm not saying he's not in the same category as McConnell and, and Graham for the uh, these special, special folks for this. Anyway, I, I just wanted to say uh, the deficit is the highest it's been in six years, folks. And I came into this business of conservative media right at the height of the Tea Party's power in this country. The Tea Party as a movement. And I went to work for Glenn Beck, and Glenn was very tied in with the Tea Party. And, you know, I, I saw this, this wave of uh, just a, a, the restoration of concern, uh, the restoration of concern for our financial future, for... Just so many, um, so many things that all of a sudden were at the top of the list, right? And and also restoration of the the American founding as as a topic of conversation. I'm just saying we're we're not we have not done anything about this yet, and we've had a Republican House and Republican Congress. I'm sorry, Republican Senate and White House now for almost two years, and we haven't taken action. And I worry that we're not going to take action. I worry that. This is soon going to become one of these issues where uh, we all talk a big game. We all talk, talk tough on this. But at the end of the day, nobody wants to be the one that says that we got to spend less. Republicans will talk about, OK, we can't tax more. Fine. But the truth is, we got to spend less. And that means we got to spend less on Social Security and, Medi uh, and Medicare and Medicaid. That's what it means. That is what it means or else it, it has no meaning. And Republicans don't want to hear that. And I know a lot of the folks listening to this tonight have a tough time with that. They feel like they paid in. And so it's not an entitlement. It's the government you know, making amends for taking money from them for all those years. Social Security, that's pretty much true. We just need to change the structure of it long term. With Medicare, it's not true. With Medicare, your kids, if you're listening to this, really actually your grandkids, if you're of Medicare age, they're the ones and your great grandkids are going to be paying the financial price for the care that people are taking out of the system today. It's not right. It's intergenerational theft. And I know people don't want to hear it, but that's just the truth. Meanwhile, the Fed's collected record income taxes in 2018. So, you know, we're always told, oh, there's not enough. There's not enough, uh, you know, revenue. There's not enough revenue. No, it's there's too much. There's more than enough revenue. There's too much spending. The government has got to rein it in. And unless we're, you know, we're either going to have a serious national conversation about this and take action or we're going to suffer some really horrific economic consequences. And by the time the consequences are obvious, 
it's going to be tough to turn it around. And that's just the truth. So anyway, I'm, look, we'll continue to talk about this issue because it matters, but I, I won't harp on it too much. Talk to Ron Paul today for a little bit. That was interesting. He certainly is a big believer in this. And we'll be right back. Yeah, I mean, one of my daughters is 12, mm, yeah. so she's very aware of yes. what's going on. Um, and my other daughter is six, so it's different kinds of conversations. Mm-hmm. My daughter, my 12-year-old, is an activist. Yeah, Oof, love that. She's activated. She's a feminist. Mm. She ran into somebody recently, who a little girl her age, who... Um, who said she wasn't a feminist, and my daughter was astonished. <laughs> it was hard to imagine, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and, you know, she came home and cried to me about it. Oh, wow. This is a specifically liberal problem. And, and I, I don't ever like to be mean, uh, even to silly libs, and I don't like to mock anyone's family. And, and I certainly would never mock a 12-year-old girl or 12-year-old boy, 12-year-old anybody. Um, That's not cool. That's not nice. It's not fair. And it's uh, unbecoming. So I'm not commenting on a 12-year-old as somebody with strong opinions and who goes home from school and cries about them. That's that's not of any interest to me whatsoever. What is of interest to me is that that was a clip of Maggie Gyllenhaal, the actress, on The View... And she seems to think that it is not just normal, but expected for a 12-year-old to be, quote, an activist. Kids should be allowed to be kids. And the only way that a, a normal child would feel the need to come home and cry because that young girl met another girl who did not self-describe as a feminist is because the parents are engaging in a really relentless propaganda campaign toward their own children. Now, parents can raise kids with whatever beliefs they want, but I would just note that I think that they're doing a disservice. I think that anyone does a disservice to a very young person by really instilling in them a radical leftist belief and not letting them keep an open mind and, and develop their, their own beliefs But I also think that increasingly parents these days and just adults in general in America who are libs, who are liberals, have absolutely no perspective on these issues. They have no ability to stand back and try to be a little objective for the purpose of their kids, you know, letting their kids come to their own beliefs and not feel familial pressure to take certain positions. Because even as an adult, you should always be testing and retesting your assumptions. I mean, if you're someone who's going to be politically active, it's essential to think, have I changed my mind? What, what evidence could be shown that would lead me to change my mind? Why do I not agree with the other side? Is there anything that could change that would make me agree with the other side? Am I sure I'm right about what I think and believe on every issue? You should constantly be doing that. I think it's necessary for the intellectual life of the mind. I mean, I think it's it's a, a really a precondition for being a, a true and full conservative, honestly. You have to always say, why do I think these things? Why do I think that the way that it has been or the way that I have thought it has been is the best way? What am I trying to conserve? Libs, on the other hand, love to do this thing of, you know, my eight-year-old was like asking me about like why is it that intersectional politics have not been adopted by the mainstream media complex in quite the way that I would expect. 
and they do this. Lots of lib journalists do this. And we know that that's not true, but they do seem to think that there is a kind of moral blackmail inherent in putting children into political debates, which is why they became so fond of using the Parkland kids for political purposes, right? That's why there were some very politically active Parkland teenagers who were all of a sudden being sent not just to make a case, but on search and destroy missions in terms of politics against conservatives. That was what they were trying to do. Uh, that was what their their mission was. And the whole point was that they were victims and therefore could not be truly challenged on any of these issues. So, you know, this is this is a very real tendency on the left to politicize children and then use children as political pawns in a way that I think is just really gross. And, you know, it's just funny that they could say, yeah, like my 12 year old is like an activist. And like, how could anyone else not be a feminist? Your daughter's 12, Maggie. All right. Far be it for me to tell you what to do as a parent, because I'm not even a parent, but I do know something about politics. Let your daughter be a kid. Let her wait a little bit before she has really deeply ingrained beliefs that come directly from mommy about politics. I think that would be a more intellectually fair place to start. Roll Call is next. Rock and roll, fellow patriots. We made ours go up to 11. It's time for Roll Call. Roll Call, everybody. You know what that means. Time to get into that Roll Call action. Man, I got I finally got some energy today. I managed to catch a, uh, I would call it a cat nap, but I guess it's more of a buck nap this afternoon i am all about naps i used to call it siesta in college and i used to justify to myself that well winston churchill took siestas so why can't i take siesta but then i thought more as an adult about countries where siesta is a part of the daily routine and realized that their gdp tends to reflect yeah that's right i said it tends to reflect that reality i also like those naps though when you wake up and you kind of have a moment of like, uh, like, where am I? You don't really know. And you have that, that kind of dry mouth drool thing going on. Some of you are, yeah, I know, Mike, you're making fun of me right now. That's fine. That's fine. You guys can make fun of me, but you know, it's true. You know, you've been there too. All right. You get to that place where you're just, you know, you wake up and you're like, oh man, but you feel so refreshed. So I managed to get a little bit of a nap in today. I recommend naps for all of you. Now I sound like Ariana Huffington. You have to do naps and take the yoga and the stretching and the naps. Very important to get all the sleep and the nap throughout the day. Yeah, that's right, Ariana. I would take a lot more naps if I were a uh, multi-multi-millionaire. Here we go. Chris writes, Buck, uh, love the show. Chris, love the note. Ali writes, Buck, since Democrats hold the fewest seats since 1920 and have been in a downslide for years, why didn't we get much done in Congress? And report, uh, report totals of votes in 2016 came out three million higher votes than we have human bodies in the country. Um, I think your numbers are off, uh, Ali. Or is it Ali? I don't know. Tough to tell. And as to why we haven't gotten more done in Congress, it's because there are a lot of Republicans who don't want to do more in Congress. There are a lot of Republicans who are happy with the status quo. So 
that's a problem. And you see this in these these states where you have uh, people like uh, Susan Collins. Although Susan Collins, give her credit, she did the right thing on the Kavanaugh nomination. But, you know, you have these, well, dare I say, rhino politicians. And they don't want to necessarily push hard for a conservative agenda. And you also, because of the structure of the Senate now, you need really a supermajority to get anything done. I, I love these think pieces I'm reading now about how the Senate is wrong and mean and bad. The Senate has been so just just structured in a way that it thwarts the will of the people. The same left-wing beta male writers who are putting that stuff together at Vox.com and elsewhere weren't saying the Senate was some big problem or some anachronism. They weren't saying that, you know, 10 years ago. They weren't saying it when the Democrats had a supermajority in the Senate, but consistency in principle is not for Democrats as a general rule. Ian writes, here's an idea. Elizabeth Warren has less Native American DNA than the average American, and they say the DNA test proves she is Native American, which means that anyone with a higher percentage than her would be Native American. Does that mean that the argument all Americans are illegal immigrants is over because we are all essentially Native Americans? Um, well, you're, you're getting into a lot of stuff here. Uh, you, I see what you're saying. And yes, by, by war and logic, we are all Native Americans, which means that in, in essence, none of us are Native Americans. So there you go. Um, and it was nonsense. And it was such a, such an incredible thing to see people in the media saying, no, she proved it, man. She proved her case. Like she just, you know, you know, she's one, one millionth of a Native American, which means a Native American. It was really an astonishing uh, attempt to justify what was one of the dumbest political moves I've I've ever seen in my entire life. You know, yeah, she's she's one one thousand and twenty fourth Native American. So yeah, she's part Native American. This is this is this is actually taken straight out of the Dumb and Dumber playbook. You guys remember that? What do you think the chances are of a guy like you and a girl like me? ending up together not good you mean not good like one out of a hundred i'd say more like one out of a million so you're telling me there's a chance (laughs) that's one of my favorite one of my favorite little sequences in dumb and dumber which is a movie that at the time i did think was hilarious i'm not sure it stands up quite as well now that I'm a little bit uh, older and wiser, but but nonetheless, I, I did enjoy it in its day. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, that's right. So you're telling me there's some Native American in there. Yeah, like one in a million. There you go. Brandon writes, the Whoopi is a poncho liner. It is every infantryman's best friend and or security blanket airborne all the way. Brandon, thanks for writing in, man. I did not know what a Whoopi was, and now I feel... Uh, educated on the subject. So thank you so much for that. It is very, very appreciated. Caleb writes, there's got to be a way to get the Don to take a DNA test. I bet he's more Indian than Focahontas. Well, Caleb, considering that, uh, I mean, uh, sorry, Elizabeth Warren, a.k.a. Pocahontas, is less Native American than the average American based on genetic testing that we know of, uh, it would not be surprising, I think, to anyone to find out that she is, in fact, less Native American 
than President Trump, and that would be amusing. But I think she's been thoroughly owned, as the kids say on this subject. I think she's been shown to be a, a political phony and a noob, and so there's no need for Trump to continue to uh, dance on her burial ground, so to speak. Uh, let's see what we have next here. Aaron wrote, to just caught my first glimpse of rising on the hill. It was incredibly refreshing to see you and Crystal speak intelligently without raising your voices. It gives me a small glimmer of hope that maybe the only insane people on the left are the minority with the loudest voices. Tell Crystal she's doing a great job. Keep up the good work. Shields high. Well, Aaron, thank you so much, man. I'm, I'm, you know what? I'll pass that along to Crystal. I'm sure she'll appreciate that, too. What, what we do, very few people even attempt to do, which is to have a conversation between a liberal and a conservative where the whole point is not for one side or the other to be made to feel bad or dumb or anything like that. We really are just sharing our opinions on this stuff. And I know I'm not going to win the argument. She's not going to win the argument because we don't have the time and we also aren't taking this to the mat. We have to do a whole show together every day. Like I said, if you want to see the libs get owned, uh, listen to this show. Or I guess if you want to hear the libs owned, listen to this show. If you want to see a high wire act of bipartisan discussion, then I think you may actually uh, enjoy hill.tv slash rising. So you can all check it out whenever you like. It's the fun thing about doing internet TV is it's up there. It's free. If you have an internet connection, you can see it whenever you like. Aries writes, here we go. Buck, I could care less that the Saudis blundered and killed Jamal Khashoggi. He should be killed anyway for making me type out this long-ass weird name. There are a whole bunch of reasons not to like the Saudis, but I don't think we should lose a strategic asset, all because the Saudis screwed up and killed an American-hating blankety-blank. While the political class is panicking that this dude was a journalist and are willing to blow a strategic asset against Iran, I only wish they had as much chutzpah when regular people get beheaded, imprisoned, or killed. I guess American college uh, boy Autumn Warmbier's life isn't anywhere near as valuable as this jihadist-sympathizing journalist. So while our spineless, brainless politicians, to include Republicans, are going crazy to try and go to bat for this guy, a guy like this would have been happy every time a Western infidel got beheaded. Um, There we go. A guy like this would have cheered on 9-11, and only disappointment would have been uh, for him that Americans, uh, more Americans did not die. Blank him. All right, Aries. Aries, you don't you don't pull any punches, man. And uh, always good to hear from you. Thank you for writing in. Adam writes, Buck, do you think that Donald could bribe a Senate sound engineer to add the soundbite Cherokee people, Cherokee tribe from the song at funny times whenever Focahontas speaks in the Senate, Shields High? Adam, uh, you are an entertaining fellow, but I do not think that that is likely anything that President Trump is going to be able to pull off anytime soon. Uh, next up here, we have Michael who writes, Buck, I never heard anyone talk about what the polls looked like before the red wave that put a lot of tea party candidates in Congress. What were the predictions back then? Um, Michael, that's a, um, that's a good question. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I'll have to uh, check it out. I'm not really sure what their exact predictions were. That's a, that's a very good point. Um, here we go. Michael writes, been out of pocket this week. Had a heart attack Friday night. Won't go home till Tuesday. Some time after I get fitted for a life vest. Feeling pretty good, but I was circling the drain in the ambulance. I'm grateful to God not to be dead. Michael, 
We're all grateful you're okay too, big guy. You hang in there. You stay tough, all right? I appreciate that uh, you are such a stalwart member of the Team Buck tribe. And, uh, you know, just honestly, you know, man to man, I just, um, I'm hoping you're okay, praying for you. And you just, you stay in the strong, you stay in the fight, all right? You got a wife and a, and a family that, that relies on you to stay stay in this game, so to speak, this this life that we all lead as long as you can. I, I You got a man with a beard like that, Michael's got a lot of time left. That that much I can tell you. So you're 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 going to be in good shape. Just stay strong. Glad you're okay, and we'll all say a prayer for you. Everyone, say a prayer for Michael. He's one of our Team Buck originals, and you know he's just been through a rough ordeal. Sounds like he's going to be all right, but he needs all the help he can get from the big guy upstairs. Uh, Rob writes, "Hey Buck, the media are circling their wagons around Warren. Good show tonight from Rob. Rob, man, good to hear from you as always. Thank you for writing in." And yeah, the media did circle their wagons around Warren. It was a disgrace, but that's what they did. Going to close up shop in the Freedom Hut tonight. Team, excited to be with you every day this week. Every day, every week, pretty much, except when I got to take a day off. But uh, until tomorrow, one request, tell one friend to download the Buck Sexton Show podcast on Apple Podcasts. And then, Shields High. Don't feel like you have to use one of these social media sites that you know is infected with all kinds of left-wing bias where they have all this conversational health nonsense going on and they are constantly trying to find ways to tilt the table toward the left. Go to a place where your opinion is valued and where you don't have to worry about shadow banning or any of the other nonsense that's been going on because of the left-wing dominance of our social media platforms. That's why you should check out Snippy. I've got a Snippy.com account. I was just posting on it today. Snippy.com is a super user-friendly, fun, and easygoing place where you can share your thoughts and opinions, post photos, do whatever you want. S-N-I-P-P-Y.com. Totally free to join, totally free to use. S-N-I-P-P-Y. That's Snippy.com. Set up an account, give it a shot, and I'll see you there, friends. Let's get the conversation going.